The room is perfectly lit, the table elegantly set. It's perfect. She will be here soon. Tonight will be so perfect. By the night's end, you will have what you always desired. She's beautiful and healthy, everything you wanted. At the end of tonight, you will have that beauty and that health. It will be all so sweet. She will die by your hands and then you will consume her. Consuming her beauty, her health, taking what you always wanted, what you always deserved. The doorbell sounds. It's time. This was Izzy Sagawa and this is the good, the bad and the pure evil. Born April 26, 1949 in Kobe to very wealthy parents, his father was a businessman who served as the president of Kurita Water and Industries and his grandfather was editor for the Asia Simbun. Izzy was born early, then his due date, and allegedly was so small at birth he would fit in his father's hand. Being premature, he developed enteritis, a disease of the small intestines. He would recover, but his health would be fragile and he would become introverted finding safety in literature. From an early age, he became interested in cannibalism, especially with women. At age 24, he would attend Wako University in Tokyo. He was a small man under five feet. His hands and feet were small, and his voice was quite feminine. He was aware of his unattractiveness, and this is taught to fuel his obsession to find the perfect woman. He was an excellent student, but would often daydream about finding a tall, beautiful, perfect woman. Soon the fantasy wasn't enough. While in university, he became attracted to a German woman who was teaching him English. He would fantasize about eating her. On a summer's day, he couldn't take just fantasizing anymore. So Izzy crawled through an open window of the German woman's apartment to kill her. She was asleep as he entered. Izzy searched the apartment for something to stab her or knock her out with. An umbrella was his chosen weapon. But before he could attack, she woke, saw Izzy, screamed, and he fled. He was captured and charged with attempted rape. During interviews, Izzy didn't tell of his true intentions. The charges would be dropped thanks to his father paying the victim off. This near miss would just fuel his desire. He felt so easy to get that close and he felt that the next time he would need to be better prepared. He needed to plan it better. He began to look for his new victim, one that wouldn't get away. It wasn't until years later in Paris that he would find his next victim. This woman he once again became obsessed with. Her white skin, her features, her beauty, all not only drew him, but also repulsed him. He would start to place himself into her life Izzy would be convinced of two things. The first was that he loved these women, and to him the best way to show this love was by consuming them. The second, he believed consuming them would give him what they had and what he lacked, height, beauty, and health. So Izzy was in Paris studying in 1981. He entered a class and seen a tall, blonde European woman named Renee Hartfeld. Izzy would sit next to her and said he instantly fell in love with her. He would constantly think about her, her skin in particular, her arms. She was perfect for what he wanted. 
and this time he would do it right. Renee was 25, blonde, fun and outgoing. She spoke three languages and was aiming to get a PhD in French literature. Izzy asked if she would teach him German and with his father's wealth, he offered to pay her for the lessons. She would accept. In Izzy's head, he said she was impressed with his intellect and his ability to discuss art, writing and poetry. He wrote her letters of romance nature and invited her to concerts and exhibits. He was small, feminine sounding and walked with a limp. But Renee did go to these events with him and even had him to her apartment. They would go dancing which fueled Izzy's physical sense of his fantasy. He found Renee's type of women overpowering and claimed to love them but also hate them, wanting to destroy them. So one day Izzy invited Renee to his for dinner. He went to read her poem by his favourite German expressionist and she agreed. When the evening was over she left. Izzy then went round the entire apartment licking and smelling anywhere she sat or touched. He vowed she was the one. He would eat her and that would give him total possession of her forever. Another dinner would be soon set. He would have a recorder claiming it was to record the reading of the poem. June 11th, 1981 would be the dinner night. This time he was ready. When he arrived in Paris, he bought a gun, apparently for protection. Izzy would have the gun nearby before Rene arrived. He had Rene sit on the floor, Japanese style to drink tea. He would add whiskey to her tea. They talked while Izzy waited for the whiskey to take effect. Izzy would confess his love for her and his desire to take her to bed. Flattered, Renee turned him down, explaining she liked him not romantically, but as a friend. Izzy nodded silently in understanding. He would then ask for her to read some poetry. She agreed and sat in a chair. Izzy handed her a book of poems and pressed play on the recorder. She began to read. As Renee read, Izzy retrieved his gun. Coming up behind her, he shot her in the back of the neck. Renee fell to the ground. Izzy would continue to talk to her as she lay bleeding out on the floor. Izzy would later remark how quiet it all was. Seeing the blood pool, Izzy would try clean it up. But as time went on, he would just give up. He had now started his fantasy with Renee dead on the floor. He decided to undress her. He was pleased how easy it was, as she no longer could refuse him. She now belonged to him. He got a knife and cut off her nose and nipples, eating them right there and then. He would try her bum next, but found it difficult, giving him a headache. He would continue to chop and eat her, talking to her as he did, giving her compliments. He was ecstatic he was finally living his fantasy. As he went on, he became more serious and focused about what he was doing. He would use an electric carving knife. He laid strips of flesh to one side to store for later. He made a meal from the flesh, took photos of the mutilated body and had sex. 
he would tell Renee over and over that he loves her. As he cooked more and ate, he listened to the recording of her reciting the poem. Finally, too tired to continue, Izzy took the corpse to bed to sleep. He knew soon he would have to get rid of her. The next day, when the corpse wasn't smelling, he continued to try more parts of the body. Soon flies would swarm the corpse. Izzy took this as a sign he had lost Renee. Izzy got a hatchet and chopped the remainder of the corpse into pieces, small enough to fit into a suitcase, which he had bought for this very occasion. While he chopped, he became excited below the belt and used Renee's hand to relieve this excitement. He removed her lips, keeping them for later pleasures. He would explore the internal organs, but the digestive acid stung his hands, so he abandoned exploring. Finally, he took the hatchet and cut off her head. By the time he had all the pieces in the suitcase, it was midnight, but he still called a cab. Arriving at the Bois de Boulogne, he went into the park along with the suitcase. His intention was to throw the suitcase into the pond, but he would find the suitcase too heavy to throw and felt people were watching, so he panicked and abandoned the suitcase in the park. Police would be called and upon opening it, they realized what they had. They began to try trace who bought the suitcase. Meanwhile, Izzy went back to his apartment. He continued to eat what he had refrigerated of Renee. He would later claim that with each day, the flesh became sweeter in taste. Two days after the body dumping, police arrived with a search warrant. Izzy welcomed him in. They opened the fridge during the search and found pieces of Renee's body and her lips. Izzy would openly admit to what he had done, explaining that he had issue of mental illness. His descriptions were so detailed and so sick, a judge ruled him unfit to stand trial, stating him as delusional. Izzy would be indefinitely incarcerated in Paul Gourard Asylum. In there, three psychiatrists would evaluate him, stating he would never be cured. Rich Fardo would come in handy, as he worked out a deal in 1984 to have Izzy transferred to a psychiatric hospital in Japan. The head of the Japanese hospital said Izzy was sane and should be in prison. August 1985, Izzy was granted freedom thanks to his father. Just five years after killing Rene, Izzy was free. What made it worse is that he freely spoke and almost boasted about what he had done to the media. He would appear in several Japanese pornos and even wrote four novels one he described in detail of the murder. It sold 200,000 copies. Thanks to his father, Izzy got away with murder and wasn't ashamed of it. In 2005, his parents died. He wasn't allowed to attend the funeral. He received welfare benefits for a time. In 2013, he was hospitalized with cerebral infection, which permanently caused damage to his nervous system. He now lives alone and needs daily assistance from caregivers. Of late, he now says he is regretful about his obsessions. Thanks for listening. Next time I'll be talking about Sean McBride, an Irish politician.
We founded or participated in the United Nations, Council of Europe and Amnesty International. He would receive the Nobel Peace Prize, the Lenin Peace Prize and the UNESCO Silver Medal for service, all in one lifetime. Until then, this is the good, the bad and the pure evil.